0: everyone welcome to our pediatric grand rounds uh, we have another topic a little different but still covid-19 related uh, and you will see we have two outstanding speakers today that will provide some some new information uh, perhaps a little bit out of the uh, uh, of the virology and epidemiology more into uh, how do we cope you know what are the things that we need to do to make it through this very difficult period Uh, Before they uh, speak and before I introduce them, just to give you a quick update on on where we are with uh, with the pandemic, Um, and as you know, this has continued to uh, uh, cause very significant uh, mortality in the U.S., and so one of the things we should always remember is that uh, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, many of us, uh, many of you uh, have been impacted directly uh, by this disease uh, because it has touched your world, perhaps a a parent or a grandparent or a family member or a neighbor. Uh, so we, we must always remember that. The, the actual very personal element of this, that um, it's, it's going to be very difficult to go through this without having been touched in some way where we knew someone uh, that probably passed away from COVID-19. Uh, so, uh, you know, it is a time to uh, uh, to take care of each other. Now the good news uh, from what I can see from the epidemiology of the disease is that it's beginning to level off. Um, I look at this constantly, uh, almost hourly, looking at the map from the U.S., from the Hopkins site, also looking at the uh, Department of Public Health uh, information that gives us uh, information about Connecticut. And then I connect with my colleagues at the adult hospitals, uh, specifically right next to Connecticut Children's Medical Center and our new Vance partners, uh, Danbury Hospital, Norwalk Hospital, understand where they are in in terms of their own preparedness. And of course, it it has affected them tremendously. We have, uh, you know, several hundred individuals, uh, over a thousand individuals that have been hospitalized in our adult partner systems, uh, and they're working very hard, very diligently. They're doing a great job. They really are prepared. I'm very impressed with the way they're handling things. At Connecticut Children's specifically, we've, uh, so far, we've had five uh, kids that had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, four have been uh, happily discharged to home, and they're, they're doing well, which is the, the good news I want to share with you. Uh, we still have one patient in the, in the critical care unit who, uh, who is on, on a ventilator, but uh, improving on a, on a daily basis. And that's very typical from what has been seen in other places with pediatric COVID-19, uh, including our colleagues in New York City where uh, they've uh, hospitalized many patients at their children's hospitals, uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, most of them are doing well, although there have been a couple of deaths associated with COVID-19 in children as well. Uh, so we will make it through. Uh, it's, uh, I'm looking at June 1st as the the time where things uh, improve. I don't think we'll get back to doing things uh, uh, as, as we always have, probably till the summer of 2021. That's when things will begin to change dramatically. Uh, but we'll be able to get to some symbol of, of normality by, uh, I think, June. July when we'll be able to begin to open our doors uh, with uh, different patterns, and we'll, we'll keep you informed as that goes through. But today we're going to talk about uh, coping strategies with COVID-19. Uh, we're going to learn about five strategies uh, that providers need now and in the future, and the future is important. And, and to do that, we have uh, two uh, great colleagues who, uh, who know a lot about this, uh, who have been doing some great work through webinars connecting with people. And uh, uh, they they come from different backgrounds, but they've sort of they they made a fantastic uh, all-star team. First one is uh, Dr. Rebecca Moles, who is an associate professor of pediatrics uh, at at, at the, in the Department of the UConn School of Medicine, and she she's also her uh, her training is in, in child abuse and neglect, and she's part of the SCAN program. But she's very quickly shifted into this area of support and, and mentoring, and you will see she's really outstanding. I've been very impressed with Rebecca and the way she's. Uh, pivoted very quickly into an area of support for our faculty uh, and uh, and all members of Connecticut Children's Medical Center, and you will hear her in just a minute. And then Lisa Morella, who is the Director of Organizational Effectiveness and Learning uh, at Connecticut Children's. And Lisa has been a great partner to me now for, uh, I think, uh, I'm going to say probably three years and maybe even longer. Um, and, you know, she's a go-to person when we need something uh, for support and help. And, and Lisa is, is somebody who brings uh, A lot of objective thinking, but also positive thinking and and support for all the things that we do. Uh, So you'll learn from them. Uh, I'm gonna pass it on to Rebecca first, and then uh, then she'll introduce or ask Lisa to continue. And then we'll do questions and answers. Please don't use the text version for the questions and answers, use the Q&A. We will do our best to answer all the questions while we're online, but if not, we will go ahead and respond to you very specifically. So again, welcome to Grand Rounds. Uh, Rebecca, if you can take it on and uh, we'll go from there.
1: Yes. Good morning, everyone. Give me 10 seconds to make sure I'm sharing my appropriate screen with you to make sure that you can see our presentation and that it's ready to go. So thanks very much. And thank you for that lovely introduction, Dr. Salazar. Um, As he mentioned, I am Most of you may have known me in my clinical role as an attending from the SCAN team, but I am also a professional development coach in a training program, and I'll be certified later this year. And that has led me to a wonderful partnership with Lisa Morella. Lisa, I don't know if you want to say anything else about your role. Go ahead.
2: Sure. Good morning, everyone. I am Lisa Morella. Thank you for having us here today. And in addition to the role Dr. Salazar talked about, I also am a professional development coach with a particular as a dedicated resource to our uh, physicians, our advanced practice providers, our psychologists, to help them feel supported in their role as leading and uh, connecting their team to be effective uh, during this time and beyond.
1: Great, so with that, we'll get started. So we don't necessarily have learning objectives for today. We have more of goals that we wanna make sure that during this presentation to you this morning, that we acknowledge the unique challenges that are facing you right now. And we're going to go over some supportive strategies that we hope will be useful to you today and in the future. And as we phrase it here, our reimagined future, because the future, as you know, is constantly shifting, always, but more so in this era of COVID 19. To start us off, I want to acknowledge for everyone the concept of fight or flight, which you guys know already. But you may not have recognized that we are all in this constant state now of threat, that, con- that COVID is a threat. It's a threat to us personally, professionally, our health, our well being, our society, financially, all of those things. And so that can put us into fight or flight mode. And you may find that you are sometimes in fight mode, sometimes in flight mode, and you may s- shift back and forth repeatedly moment to moment day to day. So I wanted to at least start by acknowledging that and recognizing what that does to your ability for higher functioning of your brain. So being in a fight or flight response puts you in the lower levels of your brain which some have termed the basement. So I like this concept that your brain is functioning in the basement kind of at your your basic level. And when we say the basement, I don't mean this gorgeous renovated basement. It's really this kind of dark, dank, scary, dingy basement. Like it puts you in a dark place that makes uh, higher level thinking much more challenging. Another way to think about this is being um, called lizard brain. So it's putting you in the lowest level function of brain where you can either fight something eat it or run away, right? As your kind of options when you're a lizard. So it, all of this affects how you can interact. Another way to think about it in a more scientific way is this concept of amygdala hijacking where your feelings cut your, cut your thinking off at the feeling level and you're no longer able to as easily access your higher level thinking. So this is happening to you, this is happening to everyone you're interacting with and this is unusual currently because it is affecting everyone at the same time. So it makes interactions so much more challenging. And the specific things, as you can imagine, during the COVID-19 reality is all of the things that are, um, we're struggling with. So you're going to the grocery store and there's nothing there. Or there are people who are following the guidelines and social distancing and wearing PPE, and then there are others who are not. And all of those things can affect how you think um, and how you're functioning. But what we're here to, to talk to you about today is that you can help yourself and those around you, so your team, your family, your loved ones, your patients, through this predictable reaction of panic and self-protection, and we're going to give you some strategies. Go ahead, Lise.
2: Thanks, Rebecca. So as Rebecca said, we're going to talk about some uh, strategies that you can use that will help cha- help deal with these predictable reactions to panic and to self-protection. And we are going to share with you five strategies. And before you take a look at them, I want to state what I think is the obvious, which is hopefully they're going to look familiar to you because they're not, there's not anything new about how we cope with, with that fight or flight. So these are strategies that you can layer on to help increase your personal effectiveness and also your sense of feeling safe. But what's different about today is Rebecca and I are going to offer you the lens of how you can use these five strategies um, now in this unique time with the barriers, both environmental barriers and um, emotional barriers that are in place. So it's with that lens of how to use these strategies today that we'll move forward. So Rebecca will take a look at those strategies. okay so here are the five strategies we will spend the, the rest of our time today talking about we're going to be talking about self-care resourcefulness purpose connection and leadership and as rebecca and i look at the literature these are strategies that have been heard over and over again that help us feel uh increase our sense of well-being and increase our sense of of personal um, empowerment or personal effectiveness. So we're gonna just start by uh, peeling these back one at a time and looking at what they mean, what are the barriers, and how do we go about overcoming those barriers? The first one is about self-care. And the way we're describing self-care is that sense of uh, actions that can improve or maintain your well-being. If I had to tell you what the tagline for self-care is, it's putting on your own oxygen mask first. And uh, the the way to think about it is, um, you have to nourish to flourish. So uh, self-care, those actions are really, um, we'll we'll, uh, go through some of the domains of self-care. So there are five domains of self-care. Again, things that should sound familiar to you. The first is physical, and the physical is really about movement, nutrition, rest, and hydration. If we think about uh, physical as as being bucketed by those four things, that's what we're thinking about with physical. With emotional, we're really thinking about connection. And in particular connection with people who who replenish you, people who make you feel um, like you are not uh, alone in the world. So family, friends, loved ones, that's what we mean by that um, emotional connection, that that, uh, domain of self-care around emotion. Next is spiritual, the domain of spiritual self-care is really about feeling connected to something bigger than yourself or feeling connected to something outside of yourself. For some, that may be religious, For some that may be nature, for some it may be a personal belief system, but it's that sense that we are connected. And whether it's about church or synagogue or mosque, or whether it's about this concept of forest bathing and being out in the great outdoors and being intentional about letting the great outdoors touch our inner self or our soul, that's what we mean by spiritual. Mental is really about our mental health, keeping things like anxiety and worry at bay, Um, having a positive mindset, and embracing the day as full of possibility. And the last domain of self-care is about taking care of those things that spark curiosity, that give us ideas, that allow us to develop um, the, the things that keep our mind engaged. So if we can think about how we can take care of ourselves each day in these five domains, that, that's what self-care is about. Let's look at what this means in terms of what, what's in it for us to do that. So in terms of self-care, if we wanna really start doing something about it, the first thing to, talk, to think about is what's in it for you? What's in it for me if I engage in self-care? The first thing is, it allows you to be your best self. It allows you to come out of that dark, scary basement that Rebecca was talking about and think more about that, that how do I engage in the world in a way that puts my best self out there. It also, by um, engaging in self-care, it allows you to increase your personal effectiveness. You feel more um, accomplished in your world and in, the, in your life. And the third thing that, um, that's in it for you is it allows you to be there for others. So many of us are in this profession or in your profession because you wanted to help others. And self-caring, back to that that saying we saw at the first slide, allows you to nourish so you can flourish. So that's what's in it for you. That's why you would want to engage in self-care. Probably things you know. So what are your barriers? Rebecca, talk to us a little bit about what are the barriers to self-care?
1: Sure. So I think that specifically for medical providers, We often during our medical training are taught how to ignore our own needs. So there's no class in medical school that says, here's how you ignore your own needs. But it's a subtext of the training where we're taught to ignore our physical needs, our own emotional needs, because somehow that's a weakness to acknowledge them in yourself. So I think a lot of us are struggling in this time where we know that self-care is important, but maybe don't know how to do it, or don't know the right strategies that would help us, or um, may find that we're not prioritizing that. I think that for a lot of people, they would have said prior to COVID-19, oh, I don't have time for self-care, I don't have time for those things. Many of us are faced with this paradoxical, large amount of unstructured time now so it's becoming more obvious that it's not actually the lack of time that's the problem and sometimes it's finding the motivation the creativity the energy to actually engage in some of those um, some of those strategies
2: Thanks Rebecca so what can we do so Rebecca and I really struggled with we didn't think you wanted a list of apps or classes or, um, uh, you know, take a yoga class. Those those feel very um, it, uh, situational. What we wanted to do is give you some thoughts about how to approach self-care and those five domains that we talked about, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, and intellectual. The first thing is in self-care is to think about what triggers that lizard brain? What puts us in the basement so we can't take care of ourselves? And so some of the things that when Rebecca and I were brainstorming this is, we think about the uncertainty of our future. We have this lack of routine. So many of us were very structured in our routine. Uh, Rebecca and I were joking the other morning. Our, our, our morning routine used to include getting up, exercising, getting children off to school, you know, getting ourselves ready, commuting. And now we get up and we're like, okay, how do we start our day? that constant change can cause, uh, trigger our lizard brain. And so what do we see in ourselves? We may see us feeling more snippy or short-tempered. We may have a shorter attention span. We may feel um, hungry. We may be eating more. We may be eating less. We may be sleeping more. We may be sleeping less. But look, pay attention to these cues and clues of what's not quite right. And once you can do that, then go back and think about, do I need to tend to my physical self, my emotional self, my spiritual self? And it may be a, 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 a few of them need to be taken care of at once, but pick one thing and try it. That's sort of the take-home message of our, of our presentation today. Just pick one thing and try it. So one of the things that we're going to talk about today, if I were to say, let's pick one thing, one of the things Rebecca and I wanted to share with you is picking, the one thing we pick is how to better manage our stress. So let's look at how we can do that. A self-care technique is learning how to cope with stress better. And typically when we when we are faced with something stressful, we can either react, which is sort of that immediate, without thinking, lizard brain kind of place we go, or we can respond. And respond is that thoughtful, intentional choice we can make. One of the things we talked about is right now we're not feeling like we have a control over the environment. But we almost always have control over how we behave as a response to it. So uh, we found what we this uh, little uh, approach called the four A's to stress management. There are four ways you can think about how to get how to respond, how to choose with intentionality how you want to respond to stress. We can avoid it and and just simply turn away from something that stresses me. And the example I will give is I am am limiting my uh, social media and my online news uh, consumption. We can alter it, we can change something about how we are approaching it, like rebalancing or recalibrating our priorities. We can adapt, so we can uh, temporarily uh, shift, how we are thinking about something, like by adjusting what our standards are. And by that, I don't mean lowering them, but I think about if our standards were always about I, um, I, uh, I exercise seven days a week, perhaps you want to stay in two days a week and, and read and, and exercise your brain instead of your body. And finally, thinking about accepting and knowing that um, we can't control the uncontrollable. So how do we learn to accept? How do we learn to look for the upside, the silver lining? And while these may sound very uh, Pollyanna-ish, sometimes just practicing one of these in the moment. And yesterday was a miserably rainy day. I couldn't get outside and understanding, okay, this is an opportunity to sit and have a cup of coffee with my dad. So I couldn't control the external environment. I had to accept it and find something else to do with it. Okay. So now we're going to move on and talk about that second tactic, that second strategy we could use. And that strategy is um, resourcefulness. And resourcefulness, the word I always think of when I think of resourceful is clever. How do you, how do you think your way out of something? How do you, like, um, how do you use creativity? How do you use innovation and ingenuity to, to problem solve and to work your way around, to think of a workaround or a work through? I also think things, uh, two other pieces of that definition for resourcefulness that perhaps we don't always think about are patience. How do I uh, sort of uh, buckle in and really uh, put my head down and and, and think about plowing through something? And finally, optimism. How do I program myself to have that positive default? What I talked about a moment ago in self-care was about finding silver lining or finding the the upside to something these are all pieces of resourcefulness and the tagline we use for resourcefulness is when life gives you lemons make lemonade so we're going to go through the same approach that i talked about with self-care let's look at what's in it for you why might you want to take on resourcefulness at this point First of all, resourcefulness is about getting our needs met. And that's a good thing. In this time where we feel like our our ability to meet our needs are being taken from us, being resourceful allows you to find clever ways to get your needs met. And why is that important? It increases your sense of satisfaction and decreases your sense of frustration. So that's what's in it for why you'd want to practice a little bit of resourcefulness. So what gets in the way? Decision fatigue, it feels like everywhere we turn, we are faced with a decision. How do I go to the, get, how do I get groceries? How do I get, go to the ATM? How do I figure out what I want, what we're going to take care of a patient? How, how, why, which way? We get fatigued by the, what feels like a barrage of decisions we need to make. That could get in the way of feeling resourceful because it depletes our energy. But then what can we do about it? How can we apply resourcefulness during this time of COVID? A couple of things we could think about. First of all, is engaging a thought partner. And you heard Dr. Salazar talk at the beginning that Rebecca and I have become thought partners to each other. We are sounding boards. We bounce ideas off of each other. When I am feeling stuck, I'll say, "How do you? How would you approach this?" So finding someone or someone who can just help you think through something, their unique life experience, their unique approach, will just shed new light on something. So engage a thought partner. Also, relying on yourself. You are intelligent, accomplished people. Identify what's worked for you in the past, even if it hasn't been in this exact same situation, because we haven't been in this exact same situation. What's worked for you in the past in a similar situation? Um, One of the things a friend of mine told me is um, when she had her knee replaced, she had to think about ways of getting around that weren't like how she used to get around. She had limited mobility now. So she's applying some of the resourcefulness from her knee surgery to um, her current situation of limited access to things. And finally, the strategy that might help with resourcefulness is developing a personal board of directors. And let me tell you a little bit about what that means and how we do that. So what it means, a personal board of directors is um, what I call when you select an informal group of people uh, who support you on your life's journey. They may not ever be gathered in one place at one time, the way a board of directors of our hospital is, but they are people you hold in esteem. They may become your think tank. They may become a group of peer reviewers but they are people you can either mentally turn to or physically pick up the phone or text. They are people that help you think through a life situation. Um, And who might comprise your board of directors? There's actually some recommendations. You always want fans or supporters on your your mental board of directors or your board of directors. You want people who could potentially sponsor you, who can help you uh, find your way forward. You might want subject matter experts. For example, if you're thinking about engaging in a a coaching course, you might want to think about, who do I know who's already a coach, who might be able to give me some recommendations on a reputable, helpful coaching program? And maybe counterintuitively, you might want some critics, people who will tell you the hard truth, or people who give you some pushback, or people who um, cause you to think about the barriers and challenges you might face. I'll tell you a moment about my my personal board of directors is comprised of two women who I've known for most of my career. They are slightly ahead of me in my career. They are people who um, are wise, they have integrity, they are kind and they tell me the hard truths. Those are the criteria I use and I go to Maggie and Susan again and again when I am faced with a life decision or a challenge. They help me think it through. Rebecca, what could you also tell us about uh, personal and professional resourcefulness?
1: Sure. So I just put this in to say some challenges that a lot of us are facing now is this transition to to telemedicine. So this is a picture of my screen in my office and me taking a picture of my own self trying to practice my first telemedicine and who I'm practicing with another um, provider in my office. But my... Uh, administrative assistant in my office has been very creative and recognized early on that she was going to be alone in the office a lot as the medical providers were weaving in and out. So she took this um, empty water bottle and put the face of Wilson on it. And Wilson is, as some of you may know, is a star character in the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks years ago, where he was stranded on a desert island by himself. And he created this, this Wilson um, volleyball into a face. And he communicated with it, talked to it, and it was this tragic scene when he loses Wilson in the ocean. So my, my admin has made Wilson um, and to represent what she's missing with connecting with all of us. And she talks to Wilson. And so we move Wilson around. So this is just the concept of trying to figure out how to do your job with telemedicine. Um, it's is a, trying to be resourceful. Also in my household, we have a, um, a tradition of making cookies, in Easter shapes. So this was our our COVID-19 mask Easter face. So we're trying to be resourceful in how we're still connecting with each other. One second, that was my fault, muted myself, sorry. So we're gonna move on to the next strategy, which is purpose. So when we're talking about purpose, what we mean is, meaningfulness. So what brings meaningfulness to your life and to your functions? What makes you feel significant? What brings you significance? And what's your reason for being? So one way to think about this is that if you have no purpose, you're like a ship without a rudder, or it's hard to know exactly what your true north is or where you're trying to head. As Lisa alluded to, many of us went into this profession to offer Um, help to others. And there may be new and different ways that we're being asked to do that. Or you may find that your ship is grounded right now and the things that you um, had been able to contribute to your, your, the profession and the um, institution are not really applicable skills right now. So you may find that you're lacking in purpose. it's important to think about where do you find purpose in both your professional roles and in your personal roles. And so your professional roles are easy to think through. Personal roles could be your role as a spouse, as a partner, as a parent, as a child, um, in different community functions that you have. So all of those you need to define what is success for you in this environment. I think it's also important to recognize who you are allowing to define what success is. So in each of those roles, you're going to have yourself, you know, your own decision about what is successful for you in this time frame but you may also have your organization that is deciding that. So, CCSG, Connecticut Children's might be deciding how many patients you need to see in this timeframe to be successful. And how do you incorporate that into your overall goal of success? You may find in your personal roles that there's other organizations or other people. So like your mother may not think that you're being successful in how much you are being a good daughter, for instance, you know, or what you need to accomplish in order to be successful. I think it's also um, right now, there is such an eye on healthcare that we have to be careful about the court of public opinion and kind of the, the the social media defining what is success. So specifically when I think about that, there's so much in social media that talks about the medical providers at the front line, which always gives me this vision of like Ghostbusters in these outfits, you know, kind of chopping down COVID 19. And there are many of us on this call and across the, this, the country who are on the front line. And then there are those of us who are not. And it's hard to know how we're defining ourselves and how that feels when we are a medical provider but not necessarily on the front line and trying to define what success is. In the personal role, I think the court of public opinion is also um, the, the trouble with social media talking about the families or the the people who are being like super successful and super you know organized and they're getting all of this great work done, and you might find that you're on the other realm that you're try- struggling really hard to just contribute in any way at all, and you're not really being uber um, uh, successful in that. So all of that contributes to purpose. So to follow along with what the framework that Lisa had um, already shown you with the other um, strategies. So what's in it for you is this feeling of relevance, again, of feeling some satisfaction that's greater than your feeling of frustration. So we're all being asked to kind of redefine ourselves and to figure out what is our purpose now and how do we fulfill it. And when you find that, it's very rejuvenating. It can really rekindle the spark that maybe you have lost in this time frame. You may find that there are a lot of barriers to your success here, similar to the ones we've already talked about, the feeling overwhelmed, being in the basement in your lizard brain, in your fight or flight response. You may not feel creative about thinking about redefining your purpose right now. What you can do about it is, first of all, think about it, discuss it with your, your thought partner, whoever they may be. Your personal board of directors could be a perfect um, group to reach out to individually or as a team. Another thing that you can consider doing is constructing what Lisa calls your joy list. So this is actually taking a piece of paper and writing down several things that bring you joy. And I would encourage you to be as specific as possible in that. So not just being with my family, but what specifically about being with your family, what are the things that bring you joy? And there's two ways to use this joy list. One is to make sure, in in line with the self-care realm, to make sure that you actually do something from your joy list every day. And you can also do more than one thing from your joy list every day to help feed your soul, if you will, to feed your your self-care. But also, constructing this joy list can help you to decide, to help determine what your purpose is. You can start to see the themes that are emerging in the things that bring you joy. And you can also use that to shape what purpose you want to define for yourself now. A third way that you can um, try to address your purpose is by recalibrating your goals. So Lisa mentioned this back in the, in the stress um, management idea about adjusting what your goals are, but we have a specific way we want you to think about that. And I'm not sure actually if we've lost Lisa cause I don't see her anymore. Lisa, are you still there audio?
2: I am still here audio. There oh, seems great. to be a problem with my video. Okay.
1: But I can well, still see your screen, so I'm Perfect. Good. Okay. So we're going, do you all know what Lisa looks like now? So we're going to go through an exercise here to show people about how you can go about recalibrating your goals. So what I'd like you to do, if you won't mind doing this with me, Lisa, is think about... Mm-hmm. So, thanks. Think about a goal that you had prior to COVID-19 that has been disrupted because of COVID-19. And if you can think of something, if you wouldn't mind sharing it with us.
2: Sure. Um, one of the goals that I had and was looking forward to was the opportunity to present at the National uh, Children's Hospital Association meeting uh, this year about a leadership development program that we developed here at Connecticut Children's along with um, some of our, our uh, senior leaders. We were looking forward to presenting that and the impact it has had on our leadership here at Connecticut Children's. So I was very excited about that.
1: Great. And, and what, where, what's the status of that right now?
2: So uh, because of the current situation, the meeting is uh, unknown. We don't know if it will be held. We don't know if it will be held at all or whether it will be virtual, whether it uh, will be modified or uh, reduced in its scope or expand. So it's really on hold right now.
1: Okay. And what about the leadership program that you were doing here at Connecticut? Children's? Yeah, the,
2: the leadership program has also been paused uh, because of the, uh, the demand of everyone's time and really asking um, our leaders to focus on a small handful of things, reprioritizing that leadership development program has been paused.
1: Okay, so thank you for that framework and that idea. So what I want you to do is think about if COVID-19 had not disrupted that and you had been able to complete the leadership program and imagine that you have gone to the Children's Hospital Association meeting and successfully presented so I want you to go there in your brain. And if you could talk to us about what feeling does that bring for you? If you imagine yourself having completed that, what feelings does that bring up?
2: So for me, I would have, been, I would have felt very satisfied. There would have been a sense of personal satisfaction. I would, have felt very, uh, I would have felt like what I did was valuable here at Connecticut Children's, and there's a deep sense of satisfaction about that. And I also would have felt... Um, That I was validated that the work I was doing was good work and I was able to uh, promulgate it to the greater uh, Children's Hospital Association.
1: Great. So those are great feelings and make sense. So what I want to challenge you all to think about, and we're going to return to Lisa's example in a moment, is that it's actually the feeling that is the goal So Lisa mentioned that her goal was to complete this leadership program and present about it successfully. But actually the feelings that she brought up, feeling that sense of satisfaction, of being validated, of being valued, that's actually the goal that you're looking for. So what you thought was the goal was really the means to the end. You're trying to get to that feeling. So what we need to do in this timeframe is challenge yourself to find new ways to get that same feeling. So, Lisa, if we were to go back to your example, are there what can you talk to us about about creative ways that you could find that feeling of satisfaction of feeling valued or of feeling validated about your work?
2: So, one of the ways I thought about it is that if, uh, the, if the Children's Hospital Association uh, wants to um, me to write this up and we could put it, they want to put it on their website or put it in the. Um, the proceedings from the meeting, that would feel like that was meeting that goal of feeling satisfied and feeling valued. So That's one thing. Also, if they had a, a website and wanted me to write it up and put, put it on the website for other children's hospitals to understand what we did, that would feel I would feel very satisfied by that as well.
1: So that's great. So you're talking about creative ways to get the same information out, but not necessarily needing the, in li- the live meeting. Right. So I think that that's, those are all great creative ways I'm going to challenge you once again, Lisa, to think about are there other ways, not necessarily in the same realm as the leadership program and uh, the Children's Hospital Association, but other, thing, other ways in your personal and professional life that you can get that feeling of feeling satisfied or valued or validated?
2: That's a great question. And uh, One of the things I think about is uh, one of the things that you and I started, Rebecca, which is the virtual faculty lounge, where we're doing these webinars for our faculty that allow them to come together and feel supported and experience each other's peer support and build that sense of community. So that feel, I, I get a great sense of satisfaction from facilitating and hosting those virtual faculty lounges. So I, I thought about that it's getting that same goal of feeling satisfied, but doing something um, very different.
1: Absolutely, I think that's a great example. And so thanks very much, Lisa, for participating with this. Th- I'm hoping that, this, that those of you who are listening can think about ways that what are the feelings that you're going for or feelings that you're missing by, by things that have gotten canceled or other, um, other opportunities or other accomplishments you were hoping to, to get to that have gotten reshuffled because of COVID-19. I think that this was um, a little graphic that I found on social media that I actually thought was very um, fitting. And so this is talking about how our, the importance of certain things that seemed very important have certainly changed right, with the um, onslaught of COVID-19. And I think if we can project out farther beyond April and beyond, um, into the next several months, you could probably make yourself one of these charts and actually having the visual um, recognition of things that had been really important to you maybe aren't as important anymore. And as you visualize your future, you may think that you really want things that have become important now to stay important and to not let something, some line grow um, over that for you. Okay, so next we are going to talk about connection. So this is our fourth um, strategy sphere. So connection is about connecting with others and connecting in a way that you have shared experiences with them, shared emotions, um, can be all the whole realm of emotions, joy, triumph, loss, humor, grief, and share and connection can be related to having a shared purpose, right, to having shared um, experiences. You can have the most the deepest connections often are with people that you with whom you have shared or complementary values you don't necessarily need to be physically connected to someone in order to have a strong connection so that's where this quote invisible threads are the strongest ties and i think all of us now are hungry for some type of connection so as we think this through the what's in it for you is the sense of being understood of those emotions that Lisa mentioned, feeling valued, feeling appreciated. And don't forget that nurturance, connection is a basic human need. A lot of us on this call do pediatrics, you know that children can still fail to thrive even if they have enough food and enough water and clothing and shelter, if they don't have connection and nurturance. Certainly the barriers to success now, social distancing, right? Which does not necessarily have to mean emotional distancing, but it has for a lot of us. It is, there can be this challenge of when we are connecting with others using platforms such as Zoom or other ways, that those connections can feel sort of shallow, especially the longer and longer we go into this social distancing time, because we no longer have shared experiences or anything to share about because all that we're connecting about is here's what's going on with me in COVID-19, what's going on with you in COVID-19, right? There's not a lot of things to share about, so we have to really struggle to dig deep and, um, and connect. There can also be a concern about showing your emotion, emotional vulnerability. So we talked about a, this a little bit in the self-care section that for a lot of medical providers we're taught not to show our emotional vulnerability and not to um, that that somehow that's a weakness and so we tend to hide that but this is the time where actually if you're experiencing an emotion probably many other people are too and they just need you to say it to start the ball rolling. So when we list out the what can I do steps we thought about think that thinking about what is something that you're missing most something that you are really lacking something that is, is you're really struggling with not having and be like a turtle and stick your neck out of your protective shell and connect with someone else say it put it out there and you will be so many so surprised at how many other people are having that same feeling lisa mentioned our virtual faculty lounge we've had a lot of of great participation and participants who have been willing to say things that um, have sparked a whole conversation of support. So we've had people who have said, you know, I'm not sleeping. Is anybody else up at two in the morning? And like everyone else on the call said, yep, I'm up at two in the morning too. And I'm wondering what to do with myself. You know, so all of those, it just takes one step to, to stick your neck out and then work Rebecca, on ways- Yes. And then the, se- the
2: second part of that story is, Somebody brave mentioned about not sleeping, and one of our physicians sent an app that he has been using that helps get him to sleep, and on the nights when he uses it, it really is providing him more rest. And so, as opposed to Rebecca and I saying, oh, here is something we found and think might help, here was a a comrade in arms saying, this is something I found, and I'm using it, and maybe it'll work for you, and he shared it with the group, and that to me is the power of connection. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And so along with that, I think taking ever every opportunity when we when we are connecting to do that with authenticity. So in New England, we tend to be rather standoffish, and you know don't necessarily talk to people in the elevator or um, kind of share or um, communicate all the time with random people you come in contact with, but. I think that this is the time to really do that. So connecting, making eye contact above your mask with the person who is screening you for your temperature as you walk into the building and saying thank you for being here, how is your day going? Can can do a huge um, service to yourself in terms of feeling connected and helping that other person feel connected as well. Another strategy that you can use is what we call live listening generously. So this comes from an article that talked about seven habits that generous listeners do that um, contributes to their sense of connection. So things to think about is being present. So that means you aren't always physically present with another person now, but making sure that you're limiting your distractions, that you are making eye contact in a way that you can, and really connecting with that person. Making sure that you're being empathetic, trying to think about the person's position And help them help let them um, explain to you what their situation is and being present and listening. Having an open mind and being a thought partner for someone else, helping them to get through some of their lizard brain tendencies um, and helping them think through options and strategies. It's hard to tell someone to be emotionally intelligent, but what we mean by that is to be. Paying attention to both the words and the feeling words that the person is using, as well as body language, if you can see them, tone of voice, and other cues that may be letting you know what's what's the emotional um, underlay here. And not being afraid to ask about it, not being afraid to say, you sound very frustrated or very upset by this, tell me more about that. And that leads me to being curious. So asking meaningful questions, letting them know that you're listening by asking follow-up questions, including just the phrase I just said, tell me more about that is not really a question, but it is showing that you are curious and that you wanna know more. I think it's also important that if someone is telling you something that may be a criticism of you or something that they need that you're not providing to don't go immediately into the defensive stance. So. Remember that they're in their lizard brain too, as is most everyone that you're interacting with now. So make sure that you are open to what they're saying and can react, so, sorry, can respond to them and not simply react. And lastly, don't shy away from being uncomfortable. Don't shy away from the fact that you're probably going to experience more tears from others and, and in yourself during this time frame than maybe you ever have. And it can be our natural inclination to try to avoid that situation or to try to get someone to to suck those tears back and not share them. But this may be, this is definitely the appropriate time to let those out because that can be a great catharsis for everyone to, to move on. So just as an example of finding creative ways to connect on the right here is uh, Jim Schmerling, who is the CEO, talking about celebrating Passover with his family through Zoom, and he put that on our um, one of our daily COVID update emails, so I figured it was fine to share that here. Um, on the left is my nephew turned six a couple weeks ago, and so we just needed to have a way to show him um, that we're all thinking of him, so we decorated our car and had fun trying to figure out how to drive the car with all of that stuff on it. But it's just a way to to connect with my nephew and his family in a way that that brought joy to all of us without um, increasing our risk. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Lisa to, to bring us home with leadership.
2: Great. So the fifth and final uh, strategy we can use to help us today and tomorrow is to think about our own personal brand of leadership. And when we're talking about leadership today, we are talking about um, being inspirational and modeling what it takes to uh, to get through these days Uh, it's also leadership is about your unleashing the potential in others how do you um, connect with others in a way that helps them feel effective and uh, like they can take on the world we also by leadership definition we mean how to motivate others particularly how to motivate others to stay engaged during this time that can feel daunting And the the final way that we define leadership is around kindness. And I I told Rebecca the story that our Surgeon-in-Chief, Dr. Christine Fink, always talks about that kindness must be at the core, the bedrock of what leaders do, because then everything they do comes from a place of positivity and a default of I care if you succeed. So leadership is about being kindness, which isn't about being just nice, it's about um, demonstrating to others I care if you succeed and you can see the quote we have about um, the uniqueness of leadership at this time so let's talk about how we uh, get, how we uh, can apply leadership during this particular moment in time first of all what's in it for you that feeling of being valued that fostering connection, providing purpose. So you're starting to see a repeat of some of the uh, words and and tactics we've talked about earlier. And finally, uh, leveraging your legacy now is about building your legacy. And that's not self-serving. It's about how do you make the world a better place because we know that's what you want to do. But there are also barriers to um, exercising our leadership at this time, you may feel like, well, I don't have a formal title or I don't have formal training leader formal leadership development. I I may at this point now feel like I have the energy to be a leader. I may feel overwhelmed with everything else that's on my plate. So how can we address those barriers three things I'd ask you to think about. One is lead from where you are, meaning you don't need a formal title or formal training. Whatever you are, wherever you are, personally or professionally, lead, and in fact, By being a physician or a healthcare provider, you have a place of leadership. People turn to healthcare providers as natural leaders. So use your position to lead where you are. Uh, Be a thought partner to someone. Share an opinion. The second way you can demonstrate your leadership is raise your hand, either proactively and say, I see a need and I will take care of this. I will do this. Or if someone asks, for something to be done for you to get in there and say, yep, I can do this. The third way we can all um, leverage our leadership is to demonstrate personal accountability. There is nothing that people, uh, the thing that people notice the most is when we do what we say we're going to do. That's being personally accountable. So let's talk a little bit about how we demonstrate personal accountability with what we're going to, what I'll I'll introduce is the concept of above the line behavior. So here is an approach that is used often to talk about how do people demonstrate personal accountability and demonstrate their personal leadership. So if you look at the, where the line is across the pe- this piece of paper, above the line, thinking and behavior are those behaviors, those personal choices we make, those ways that we choose to respond, that help us feel like we are um, in a position where things can be, uh, we can be experienced in a more positive way, where we can take action, seek solutions. See what needs to be done and do it. It's about um, having a sense of hopefulness and positiveness. It is an idea above the line is an ideal place to be. However, we know that all of us at some point dip below the line and we, we think about sometimes we feel like a victim or we find fault or we blame or we give up because we feel like we have no control the point isn't to never go below the line. The point is to think about the, the below the line as having a trampoline at the bottom. And so when we dip below the line, that we can either have the energy ourselves or we can have a thought partner or a buddy or a, somebody on our personal board of directors that helps us spring back up and find possibility, look for a solution, find better ways. And it's a choice we could make each and every time we are faced with a situation. So Rebecca, talk to us a little bit about how these five tactics and that we, we've talked about, what the, how they connect larger with this concept of moral injury and burnout.
1: Yes, thanks, Lisa. So at the beginning, Lisa mentioned that a lot of what we're gonna talk about today may not be new concepts. And it may have struck you that a lot of the things that we've talked about are actually overlap with burnout or what you can also call moral injury. So burnout has been defined in, by several authors as exo- emotional exhaustion, feeling depersonalized or reduced sense of personal accomplishment. So I think that we have talked through today about how a lot of those concepts Um, Overlap now, you know, all we're all experiencing that which can overlap with the burnout literature or the burnout um, framework. Interestingly, before this COVID-19 period, I would have said that a, a huge contributor to burnout is actually working too much or lack of time. So spending too much of your time working. And I think it's important to recognize that you may be a medical provider now who is not working as much or as long of hours as you ever have you know you may have less working time now that you than you ever have in your professional career and don't be fooled into thinking that that means that you should not be burned out or feel like that's the, those same feelings that contribute to burnout and a lot of that has to do with the lack of purpose or the lack of connection but so what I would challenge you to think about is one of is the ways to mitigate burnout is by this overlap of all of these different um, strategies that we've talked about. And that really, that overlap is resilience. So in the burnout literature, resilience is the thing that helps people overcome trauma or be protected against burnout. So resilience can be defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's been called fortitude. It's in the thought bubble there, like a phoenix rising from the ashes, the ability that, to overcome the hardship and, and arise um, better than before. So psychological resilience for a lot of people, it has some innate personality traits. There are people who are inherently more resilient than others, um, but it, it is a process, a learned process of adaptation in the face of adversity, both on the individual level and on the organizational level. So organizations are going to have to learn how to adapt and to be resilient in the face of all of these changes. So to to round us out here at the end of our presentation, we started off by telling you that you can help yourself and those around you through this predictable reaction of panic and self-protection. And we presented several strategies and thoughts for you that overlap into a concept of resilience to get you through this time frame, And our hope is that these will be useful to you now, as well as practicing these strategies will serve you in the future. We wanted to take a moment to just let you know a little bit about what the Office of Faculty Development um, has been doing and will continue to offer. So Lisa mentioned our virtual faculty lounge, which is a virtual place of informal meeting for peers to meet and discuss feelings and thoughts and strategies that are working. We have several coming up, including this week. There's also talk in the organization to roll this out beyond the faculty to other realms of the, the hospital staff. So look out for that as well. We're also in the Office of Faculty Development about to launch what we're calling Operation COVID, which is clinicians offering a variety of interdisciplinary discussions. So this is essentially almost like breakout rooms from the virtual faculty lounge or special interest groups. So these are going to be peer led and peer supported with user generated content. So the ones we're about to roll out is something we're calling a project lab, which would be if you have a academic project that you are trying to finish or wanting to get started that this would be a place where you could come together with colleagues from across the institution to talk about that and to get some mutual support ideas, a thought partner, etc. Also another one is Leader Roundtable where we're hoping to bring together people who have different leadership roles um, in the faculty to be able to support each other and come up with best practices and ideas. We have some other ideas you can see there for potential topics that might be of interest. And if you're interested in any of those, please feel free to email me directly and we will figure out a way to get you connected with others. And Lisa, I don't know if you wanted to talk about your leading teams in unprecedented times.
2: Sure. As I mentioned at the beginning, I am a dedicated resource to our physicians, our advanced practice providers, our psychologists, and I'm happy to provide as a thought partner or to, be a, uh, to help you successfully lead your teams or yourself uh, through times of uncertainty and change. So if there's a way I can support you as team meeting or resources, um, some coaching, please reach out to me and let me know how I can help during this particular uh, moment in time and beyond.
1: And with that we'd like to thank you both for your attention today and as well as for all the work you're doing as healthcare providers on the front lines or anywhere else. And thank you for just reinventing yourselves and figuring out ways to contribute.
0: Well thank you uh, very much uh, to both of you for an outstanding presentation and for your leadership in this area. I know it's been incredibly helpful to our faculty uh, now our nurses, we, we do have, it, it is nine, so many people have, probably have to sign off, but we'll, we have a couple of questions and then we'll f- go ahead and answer the other ones. And um, one that's coming up is uh, the, the question about, uh, first of all, can you provide coaching to our community pediatricians? And so I'm, uh, and I think we can certainly do that. Uh, Lisa and Rebecca, uh, my guess is you would be willing to work with our community docs, maybe set up a community forum for them. Uh, using the same methodology that you have so we will go ahead and schedule that and um, using our grand rounds uh, uh, platform we'll go ahead and, and see if both of you can connect with uh, with pediatricians I think is very important uh, so that, that's more of a statement than anything else um, the other one is can you um, can you discuss the financial stress uh, that that is brought in uh, by COVID? I mean, is any strategies on the financial side? I mean, that is one of the areas that, you know, pediatric practices are concerned whether they remain viable. Connecticut Children's has furloughed a lot of people uh, because of, of, of need at this point, and, and we're working very closely with, with all of them, but uh, any comments on that element of the stress? I think you're Rebecca for right.
1: you. Okay. Go ahead, Lisa. Did you have something to say? Well, the first
2: is, um, particularly financial stress, that might be a place where you might engage a subject matter expert. So I think sometimes uh, understanding the true uh, dollars and cents impact to your personal or family finances, it might be a good time to engage a subject matter expert, like your financial planner or your accountant. Because sometimes they might help you understand what's really dire, what might just be in the uh, the caution zone versus what's green and you're still okay. So I think getting a true expert to weigh in on one's personal finances might help lower that uh, sense of worry personally. It doesn't. Uh, and Rebecca, if you want to talk more about it as the profession, please go ahead.
1: Well, I think that the financial risks and uncertainty is something that may not have ever entered into the idea for most um, subspecialists or medical providers specifically thinking of physicians because that's my background that you know the majority of us had not worried about financial security in terms of i could lose my job or i could be put on furlough like this is a whole new realm and so i think that just acknowledging that that is is real and different and as a, a totally new frontier for all of us is is the first step to then um Owning those feelings and coming up with the next processes, as Lisa talked about, about engaging a an expert and working through ways that um, you can manage your finances.
0: Right. Thank you. Uh, uh, we do need to wrap up. I'll just uh, finish with a comment that I and I really appreciate uh, for the individual who made the comment is they want to thank you uh, very much for this presentation. Uh, uh, these the individual says that they that you've made a big difference to them this morning. So thank you. Both, uh, you know, Rebecca and Lisa, uh, great leadership, and we'll continue to uh, showcase these kinds of meetings through Grand Rounds and through webinars for all of you. So to all of you in the community, uh, have, have a great day. Uh, smile. Use some of those five methodologies, techniques that uh, you have learned today, and I think it will make a difference. So uh, we'll see you thank next you. week with the next Grand Rounds, and thank you, to, thank you to both of you and all of you who joined us this morning. Bye-bye. Thanks, You're
2: everyone. Welcome. Thank you. Bye.